2: Makes it a two-point game. There's the mismatch right here. Now it's Luca.
0: Well, here we are back again. It's been uh, a few months. Two and a half months to be exact. But Damaris and Follow are back on 77 Minutes in Heaven on The Athletic as we finally had our NBA silly season and it wouldn't be right if we weren't uh, throwing in our two cents on everything that's happened uh, in the draft and free agency. We're recording this on Monday afternoon, you'll probably be hearing this on Tuesday or Thanksgiving week at some point, but uh, the Mavericks are pretty much done and most of the league uh, outside of, uh, you know, filling out rosters is pretty much done. We had a busy, uh, busy weekend.
2: Yes, we did. We had an active weekend, busy trades, free agent signings. Um, You know, I guess there probably are still some more loose ends to be tied up in terms of... Uh, some other potential big names that could be traded. Everybody looking down south at Houston being one of those examples in terms of what they're going to decide to do. But all in all, yeah, it was uh, it was a really active last few days because everything is compressed right now. Uh, I mean, Brian, we're going to be looking at training camp getting going here. Um, not full start the training camp, but you can start doing individual workouts um, in a week. And then once everybody gets through their testing and everything like that, then it looks like training camp starts a couple of days after that officially in terms of a full-on team workout. So it's time, man. It was a, a really compressed, silly season and you had a lot of work to do in a short amount of time. And I think there's plenty to discuss.
0: Yeah. And I think that uh, the, the trades you were talking about, Harden, Westbrook, I mean, the Mavs aren't going to be involved in any of that.
2: Yeah, correct. Correct. Yep.
0: Um obviously you don't want ball dominant guys with Luka and the assets that they're gonna want. You know, the Mavs don't necessarily have or want to give up. So mm-hmm. uh I think those that's wise to stay away from what's going on there. Well, let's start with the draft. I'm gonna lean on you to give me uh some briefs on uh each of the players, if you don't mind. Sure. So let's start with uh the first round pick, Josh Green.
2: So, Josh Green played, it was a one and done guy from Arizona. He was selected 18th. Uh, I watched some tape on him beforehand because I know that the Mavs interviewed him. He himself confirmed that in his own Zoom media availabilities that he did before the draft. And based on things that I was told beforehand, he was a handful of players that were on their board that they thought had a chance to be there at 18 where they picked. And, uh, you know, knew based on that that he was certainly liked. Uh, you know, how he related to everybody else, don't know exactly the specifics of how the board set up, but I know he was liked. Um, and so he shot 36% from three in college. Uh, the shot looks good. There's probably a few mechanical tweaks that look like it could be improved upon it. Um, when he drives, he's really right-handed dominant. And so he's going to have to work on his left hand that he's going to have to work on finishing around the basket. That's one of the things that you see. But this is a prototypical wing. Six six uh, and an outstanding committed defender. Really good at closeouts. Really good at keeping people in front of him. Uh, and I think that from a three and D standpoint, there's enough to like there in terms of what the three already is and what it could potentially be. And the D is you know a really good part of the equation. And I'm sure you've heard him interviewed um, and seen the interviews and things the things that he, seen the things that he had to say. I think he's super excited about being you know fitting into the international culture of the Mavericks because he's originally from Australia. And there's a lot to like about Josh Green coming here.
0: Uh, were there were there other players on the board at the time that you personally liked or you know, liked better?
2: Um, liked better, no, because or
0: significant enough to where you would wish they had picked that person.
2: No, I mean the two the two people that you would debate would be this Sadiq Bey from Villanova, who is a better three point shooter in college and a bigger player. He's more of a combo forward than he is a two three wing player. Um, But I I don't know. Maybe that kind of thing is out the window now. I mean, Josh Green can probably can guard multiple positions. Sadiq Bey from Villanova can guard multiple positions. Bey didn't rebound that great for a person of his size. Um, And what a lot of people said about Sadiq Bey is he is a low ceiling, high floor player. So you're going to get a guy who's going to be able to come in and play. The question is, how much better is he going to get than, than what he already is? So I don't have a problem on passing on a guy like that. If you feel like that, you think that there's more potential in Josh Green. The other player that you would have looked at would have been Precious Achua. And he was on the Mavericks board. I know he, they liked him. Uh, he, didn't, he declined when he had a chance in his media availability, in his Zoom media availability to confirm if he interviewed with the Mavs. He didn't really say that, but I know he was on their board. And to me, um, you know, the questions I had about Precious Achua were, is he going to have a translatable offensive skill or is he going to do everything just based on motor? Which, by the way, Montrezl Harrell and Kenneth Fareed and guys like that have been able to carve out successful careers, being able to do everything as a a power forward sized player playing on motor. And, and you know, just creating havoc and, and creating things and scoring because of their energy and just beating people to loose balls and playing really, really hard. I think he's a great pick to fit in the culture that they have in Miami and the way they play. He'll fit very well there. And I like players like that, so that would have been somebody that would have, you know, I would have taken a long look at as well because I just like high motor guys. So those are the two players that were taken immediately after Josh Green, and there's merit to both of them, but but I don't think merit enough that uh, you know I'm I'm fine with the direction that they went on that.
0: And we'd have to keep in mind, you know, if people kind of forgotten, uh, they couldn't have traded that pick before they made the pick because right, right, right. the step in rule and and having the Knicks pick starting to click in next year. Yeah, they yeah. They'll have their pick in 2021. hmm So they could have made a pick for somebody else and then traded it afterwards, kind of like what they did with Luca. Uh, but um, that didn't pan out. Now, I know they were trying to move up to get Halliburton. Yes. And that didn't work. I think um, they were even dangling Brunson in some of those discussions. Who knows mm-hmm. what else? Probably 18 Brunson. And, you know, if that wasn't enough or that wasn't accepted, who knows, but they really, really liked him, and they really wanted to move up, and he ended up being picked 12th by the Kings.
2: I understand that there was definitely some uh, interest and enthusiasm as he was falling, because he was somebody who was projected could go as high as, you know, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. And so as he started to fall, and get closer and closer to them, and where trading up then becomes, maybe you do have the ammunition to do that, maybe it is realistic. Yes, I I would agree that I had heard similar things, that there was interest there.
0: Um, But... So he, he green, I guess, slots in as
2: your backup, too? Um, I don't know. That's going to be hard for a rookie. I think I think one thing I would say is counting on a lot out of these guys this year, I think, is a bit risky because they don't have a summer league. They don't have all of those months to come and work with the developmental coaches and learn and adjust and get settled in a new place and just all of the things that normally happen when you get drafted in June and then don't have to worry about starting training camp until October. All of that is accelerated. None of those guys have played in a competitive game since their college seasons ended around the 11th or 12th of March, so... For me, I think any expectation of significant rotation minutes, especially early in the season, unless they just have to be thrown into the fire because some guys get hurt during the preseason and camp – um, you know, I, I'm not getting too carried away with the idea of a lot of contributions from, from those guys, especially early in the season. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you feel differently about it, but, but that's, that's kind of my overriding concern and the, uh, the management of expectations I'm going into this year with with those guys.
0: Well, let's get a little bit more of that because I want to kind of go through depth charts and all sure. that, and we can kind of do that at that point. Talk to me about Tyrell Terry.
2: Excellent shooter. Um, 6'2". Really, it did apparently a ton of work to help his body, to help his athleticism, uh, to get stronger, to get bigger, to be able to uh, be a better defensive player in the NBA. So a lot of what's happened in the last few months, the pandemic didn't get in the way of his doing the work he needed to do to improve his athletic profile and make himself a more draftable prospect for NBA teams. But the main thing is shooting. And the second thing is, uh, you know based on what I've been told and what I've read about him, Uh, an extraordinarily high basketball IQ player uh, who performed off the charts in interviews in terms of being able to gauge what his basketball acumen, his basketball intelligence acumen is. So um, again, you know, how quickly can he adjust as uh, a guy who's a one and done coming out of Stanford? Don't know, but we're talking 14 points a game at Stanford and over 40% shooting from three-point range. And apparently this is a guy who's got that uh, deep, deep, three-point range that really has a lot of people excited.
0: So two Stanford players now with Dwight Powell and, yeah. uh, and Terry. Yeah. So, uh, and again, were there anybody else at 31 that you were looking at when that pick kind of came up?
2: No, because the guy that I was really excited about got drafted at 30, Desmond Bain. And Desmond Bain played at TCU, and he was—he's more of a wing. Terry's a smaller guard. Desmond Bain, like Josh Green, is a wing player who should be able to guard multiple positions. And he had a high three-point shooting percentage throughout four years in college. We're not talking about a one-done guy. We're talking about four years of college at TCU, and was a good rebounder for his size, and also a good assist guy as well. So that would have been the player. And then he went off the board at 30. And so at that point, just uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, whoever they get, whoever they take at this point, you know, let's let's see who it is, and uh, you. Know, uh, evaluate it from there.
0: Did the Mavs like um, Bain?
2: I was told that he interviewed really well with them, um, and and I wasn't uh, told that he was one of the like top four or five people on their board whenever they were looking at eighteen. But I know they talked to him. He confirmed that, and then you know just kind of uh, inquiring on draft night. My understanding was that they they did like how well that he interviewed. Whether or not that they would have taken him had Memphis not traded to get that pick at 30 and take him, I don't know. But my understanding was that there certainly was some interest there.
0: And I did hear that sometimes he either takes plays off or sometimes does have some motor issues. That's something I heard. Yeah. But,
2: uh, and then one of his drawbacks, too, for whatever it's worth, is not long, short-armed guy. So, you know, where we're so much focus, you know, especially when you look defensively is what kind of wingspan does a player have? What's their what's their length? Uh, That was a drawback with Desmond Bain is that, uh, you know, for his size, um, short arms. And so that whether or not that's going to be a problem for him defensively in the NBA, we'll see. But but he was a good defender in college. And, uh, you know, I think that.
0: 31's a valuable pick. I'm sure there were a lot of people sniffing around, but when they found somebody they, they really liked on it, they would have pulled the trigger. Now, is Terry a stair-step down from Green in terms of talent? I mean, is there a considerable difference there?
2: Well, they're different players is what I would say because Green is a prototypical size wing who has the multi-positional defensive versatility, whereas Terry's six-two, and so he's sort of slotted into one position. Um, unless you want to say that he's a he's a shoot first or a, a, a an off guard who just shoots really well and can pass some and is an undersized off guard, kind of the um, you know the, and look a lot of players like this are in the league now shooting guard game point guard body, so maybe he's that kind of player. But but to me, it's like he's just a lot different than Green. He certainly doesn't have anything remotely close to the multi-positional defensive tools that that Josh Green does. But his three-point shot is already, uh, you know, a refined piece of work. It's not something that still has more work to do, which Josh Green certainly, like I said, looks like he can get a lot better than the 36% that he shot in college. It's not like you look at his shot and say, oh, God, that's not going to translate. There's probably, like I said, a thing, a thing or two that they can do to make it better. But, but there's certainly signs of his release and what it looks like, generally speaking, that you think, okay, well, this is, this is good. Uh, there's some footwork things I saw pointed out in some of his tape. Green, that is, that were a little bit weird. But from a three-point shooting standpoint, I mean, Terry's the guy. I mean, he just, uh, you know, he was a lights-out shooter in college. And like I said, the 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 scouting report on him is beyond just the numbers of what his three-point percentage was. The range is just really deep. You know, we're talking that kind of um, Damian Lillard, Luca, right. Trey Young. Yeah, Steph Curry, that thing where you're just out there shooting from 30 feet.
0: So one thing I... I, I remember from an interview with Donnie, I think we did on the post-game show once, and, and just from being there, is that, you know, they do scout one through 60, so you're mentioning the interviews and people at 18, but they interview from, you know, obviously they weren't going to interview one because they knew they weren't going to, tra- you know, trade up for something like that, so you not talk to LaMelo Ball or what have you, but right. they do scout the entire one through 60 because they never know where they're going to end up, yeah. depending on trade, so... Although they know exactly, obviously, they had 18 and 31. They're, they're looking at players all up and down the board. Uh, okay, so uh, the last of the picks, Tyler Bay.
2: So he I, I'm not as familiar with. Uh, he was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, and he's a nine-rebound a game along with being about a 14-point a game guy. And I think he had a couple of years of that, as a matter of fact. So he's, a six, so he's more combo forward. Um, a friend of mine who lives in Denver who watches Colorado basketball said, this guy is going to be a beast. Uh, You know, he's got a lot of like a Sean Marion kind of skill set. But, you know, he's going to get a two-way contract, it looks like, to start out with. So I probably haven't spent as much time digging down on him. But it seems like, again, we're talking about somebody who uh, is a plus rebounder for his size and has the multi-positional defensive versatility and length and athleticism and the ability to, you know, to be somebody who, if you want to play up-tempo, uh, and and you know get out in the open floor with Luca running the team once he's you know kind of established himself as somebody who can be on the floor in meaningful situations and be playing at the same time Luca would be it seems like that's the kind of skill set that he'll bring to the table that he can that he can help pick up the slack defensively and then he's got an offensive game that because of his running and athleticism would be able to complement Lucas uh, the other two way is Nate Hinton from U of H and don't know much about him either I think uh, you another- know another. Gritty, wing.
0: motor, yeah, yeah.
2: Another wing guy. Let's see what. Uh, let me get, bear with me one second, and I'll tell you. Let's see what hit. What were his while you look numbers him up, at Houston? I'll
0: mention that uh, Devontae Patterson from Prairie View A and M got a camp invite, and so did Baylor's Freddie Gillespie, who was the center there and who anchored that uh, really stout defense that
2: Baylor had last year. He's Where a
0: one-time number one ranked Bears.
2: He's a guy who went from. Division three to start out his college career. He started out at some D three school, Carlton, I believe, in Minnesota, and ended up transferring to Baylor. And, yeah, and Scott
0: Drew's big on transfers.
2: Yeah, and I think that uh, he's following the Duncan Robinson path. Duncan Robinson was thought to be the first guy ever who played D three college basketball and then transferred to be a scholarship athlete. At a Power Five conference, college basketball program, and Duncan Robinson, by the way, went from a school in in Massachusetts, Williams College, and then ended up at Michigan, and then was a player that's you know obviously now two three years into his career with the Miami Heat, you know, really a contributor. And so Freddie Gillespie did the same sort of thing: started out at a D three school and transferred to a Power Five conference uh, to be a scholarship player at Baylor. But but uh, by the way, Nate Hinton, Brian, two years at Houston, um, his. Second season, about 11 points a game, almost nine rebounds, couple of assists, three-point shooting climbed up to about 39% from the floor last year, 6'5 player from Gastonia, North Carolina, who was an All-American Athletic Conference selection last year. So, um, you know, maybe a more accomplished version of Josh Reeves, maybe not quite the defensive ceiling that Reeves had. Uh, that was on a two-way last year, but it looks like he's probably a little bit more uh, reliable offensive player uh, than what Reeves was, which is why Reeves wasn't drafted. And but you know they still felt like okay, let's see if we can start to turn this guy into something offensively. But I guess uh, you know Rick's communicated through various interviews that Bay and Hinton will be the two-way guys. So you know it looks like they're moving on from that.
0: And when you look at uh, when we'll get into more detail on this, but they have 16 guaranteed contracts right now.
2: Yeah. So, plus yeah, the two two, plus way guys. The two
0: ways, plus these two camp invites I just mentioned. You can only bring 20 people to camp, so yep. there's your 20.
2: There you go. yep
0: um, But the big, big move of draft night was
2: the trade. The trade. The trade. And that's why they got Tyler Bay, because he was part of the trade.
0: And I have to admit that uh, listening to your coverage on the ticket with Norm, that I really liked the way you
2: broke it to him.
0: Because <laughs> obviously you got a WojBob notification on your phone in the middle of some kind of conversation, you were like, Well, how does Josh Richardson sound? <laughs> yeah, whenever
2: Norm was asking, Okay, who's the starter at this position and who's going to be the starter here next year? And all of a sudden, I said, What do you think? Uh, what would you think if Josh Richardson you know, were the starter? Philadelphia? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, when, when we were on the break after that happened, I was talking to uh, to Jake and to Justin Montemayor, and Jake said, You know, I, I thought maybe you were like you were getting confused for a second. And you were asking, what do you, would you think if Josh Reeves were the starter? <laughs> it's like, is Mark it just is he got he's the, already <laughs> dipping into the sauce? <laughs> is Mark confused or what's going on there? Does he have his names all messed up? And and yeah, that uh, I had just seen that Woj bomb break at that point about uh, Josh Richardson. Actually, you know, and we 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 call it Woj bombs, but let's give credit where credit is due. The person who broke that is the Athletics' Zone, Sham Sharaniya. Yeah, he yeah, that's the person who had. Yeah, that's the person who had the first news uh, on the trade. Who, who, right there all night long, uh, was uh, you know. And look, they used to work together, and both of those guys, uh, in equal parts, were breaking stories throughout that night in terms of potential draft picks and trades.
0: Yeah, and these guys, they come from the agents. The agents want to pump up their clients. Want to get this info out there. Yeah, uh, I. I tweeted this out when Woj put a uh, a tweet out that said, somebody getting early interest from several teams, DeMarcus Cousins, who hadn't even been signed yet as we record this, <laughs> but this was in the like an hour into the free agency period, and that's an obvious one where Woj is doing a favor for an agent who wants to generate a market where right. there is
2: none. That's a good point, man.
0: Yeah. And so you see that often, and the reason that Woj does that is because he wants that agent to feed him info. So it's right. a quid pro quo. And so yeah. there's a lot of that kind of, you know, uh, marketing and shenanigans that go on when you're seeing mm-hmm. these tweets. But uh, tell me about Josh Richardson, uh, because I think Mavs fans are going to really like this guy.
2: So he's a really is a two way player. And, and look, you you and I, Brian, have had a lot of conversations over the years about on the ticket post game show or on our podcast about the kind of player that we believe really needs to be playing alongside Luka in the backcourt. And that's a player who is, uh, you know, who is quick enough defensively to guard point guards, but big enough to also guard shooting guards or to go up a position and guard, you know, a bigger small forward or something like that. Uh, someone who has the ability to make some plays so he can play with the ball in his hands or he can run off screens and shoot threes or spot up and play without the ball in his hands. And a lot of times we've used Malcolm Brogdon and Mike Conley as sort of the examples of those players. Now, as the template for the kind of player we're thinking of. I don't think Josh Richardson is quite the secondary playmaker that those guys are, but he probably is a better defender than either one of those guys. And so we're talking about a two-way player who comes from Miami's culture, uh, spent four years there, worked his way up from being a second-round draft pick to scoring almost 17 points per game in his fourth and final seasons there, and then traded to Philadelphia. And his numbers dipped, probably because it was a difficult offense for anybody because of the lack of shooting that that team has in the way that they played. So his numbers were down, but I think, I think everybody's going to like what he brings to the table in terms of this is a legit two-way player. This is not somebody who's just offense but gives up a lot at the other end. This is not somebody who's a really hard-nosed defender and really makes things happen for you on that end but then can't give you anything, makes you play four on five on offense. Uh, This is somebody who is a contributor on both ends of the floor. Um, and and the playmaking, you know, was four assists a game at one point in time in Miami, so it's not like we're talking about a Brogdon or a Conley, players who have been like seven or eight assists a game guys, but I think he's going to be able to help take some of that workload off Luka. But most importantly, be really good
0: defensively. 34% last year on defense, but as you correctly point out, uh, because of Simmons and Embiid, Embiid can shoot from outside a little bit, but especially Simmons and the lack of shooting on that team, uh, then you're not going to get open looks. Mm-hmm. And so he was a 36% overall. And with Luca and you saw it with, with uh THJ last year, you know, you're going to, you're going to see people get better looks with Luca out there and the, and the attention that he commands.
2: And one of the things I saw, as a matter of fact, along those lines, Brian was a look at his catch and shoot three point percentage, which was higher as last year in Miami compared to what it was last year in Philadelphia. And then the numbers that followed that were there was a pretty significant disparity in how fewer wide open catch and shoot opportunities he had in Philadelphia relative to his time in Miami. To our point about the spacing in, in Philadelphia and the way they played, just not being able to generate wide open looks for the guy.
0: So are we seeing a trend here, a philosophical shift in what the Mavericks were looking for this offseason
2: yeah we are I mean look uh, you read and heard what Rick had to say in the post game press conference the post draft press conference which was we had an historic offense this year but we've got to get better on the defensive end of the floor if we're really going to make strides and as we've talked about um, where you want to be is a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense Uh, year in year out Not all of the time. Of course, there are exceptions to this rule, but generally speaking, uh, the champion is going to come from the select group of teams who have a top 10 offensive rating and a top 10 defensive rating. Most of the time, that's the way it all goes down. And so, uh, you know, we saw what a number one offense, but a number 18 defense gives you. A fun, exciting team, but uh, struggled in close game situations. And ultimately wasn't able to win enough games to be in a position where they would have been a more favorable playoff matchup. They were in a bad playoff matchup for them, and you know to their credit, you know played well against the Clippers, but lost in six games. Um, you know if the offensive efficiency drops this year because you don't have forty five percent three point shooting from Seth Curry, that's a bummer. But the formula towards went being in it to win it at a higher level is to be the four or five ranked offense and get that defense up close to tenth.
0: I think which, that's. Absolutely, one thousand percent what it should be. And yeah. like you said, we know what a historically great offense and number eighteen defense gives you. Yeah, gives you that first round fodder. Yep. And if they can just move to ten, they don't even have to be top ten; just ten. Right. And yeah, you can move down to three, four, five on the offensive scale. You can give up a little bit there. Right. And it's not like they're giving up a you know, uh, Richardson's no slouch on the offensive end. Right. So if they can do that. And, and moving from 18 to 10 is three points a game. Mm-hmm. But considering the, and we went through in detail what the clutch numbers were last year and the amount of close games that they played, uh, those three points can be quite a few number of games, especially when it comes to playoff time. So we, we know that. And I remember I interviewed Cuban last year on the post-game show. I don't know if you were on that one or not. Uh, but he mentioned in this new NBA where Lillard and Steph and all these guys are shooting from farther and farther away, and you see Porzingis doing it, you need athletic guys who can defend, who can go out all the way to 30 feet, but also recover and get in passing lanes mm-hmm. and have long arms and be able to do that. And the Mavs just weren't equipped to do that, but that is yeah. the new, it's, it, that, that trend is not going away. Right. And you need the defenders who, as you said, aren't, you know, we are not playing four on five on the offensive end. You can't, you can't play four and five in this league. Period. Yes. But we saw what happens when you play with offense only guys, and we mm-hmm. had a lot of one-dimensional guys on the roster last year, and they made a concerted effort that we, j- that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And yep. So yep. That's why I I just think listen there was a lot of angst that I personally got that I saw on Twitter about Curry leaving, and I think people were in love with the idea of Curry, with what he was on paper, and not as much really looking at what he was in reality, which was a wildly inconsistent player, in my view. And you know I've had Curry in my crosshairs. I do, I do. But I'm trying to look at this objectively. Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: He was inconsistent. I yeah. mean, I just. Wrote I think down, that's a fairer term than wildly inconsistent. Yeah. He was inconsistent.
0: Uh, and I'm cherry picking here, but in the Knicks game this year, he played 12 minutes, did not even attempt a shot. Yeah. Uh, in the Spurs game, 16 minutes, 0 for 1. He had 16 games where he didn't make a three. He missed 11 games. He, he was, you know, the, the, although he did play 70 and 74 games in a full season with Portland. Uh, he missed 11 games last year, so that's 27, 38 percent of the games he didn't make a three last year. That's a third of his games. Yeah, he's there to shoot threes. That's right. the only thing he's good at. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you're getting yeah because he can't
2: put the ball on the floor. Yeah. But
0: that's his use there. Yeah. And in third of the games he didn't make a three. Extremely one dimensional. And you know, so I think people like the idea of him, but you know, you just consistently weren't getting that Mm -hmm. and so to be able to get somebody like richardson back for him you know listen the sixers desperately as we talked about need shooting around two guys who aren't shooters and -hmm. so they went and got him they went and got um green you know yeah
2: danny green right so
0: you know they have a model but that's not what we need and and i think all in all, this is a positive move.
2: And by the way, uh, just a little comparison. Uh, Josh Richardson just turned 27, and Seth's 30 years old. So, you know, you're getting younger there as well. But they'll miss Seth. I mean, look, you cannot replace forty uh, five percent three point shooting, which is what the, the guy who's been the number three three point shooter in the league, two years running and is second in the history of the league amongst qualifiers in three point percentage there will be there will be some pain that you're going to have to deal with that. What you hope is you gain more because of two because of two-way talent and defensive positional versatility that uh, again Josh Richardson is going to bring you.
0: Yeah, and I I mean how many times did I get slipped shoulders driving to the arena yeah. and hearing, "Oh, Seth is out tonight with a, you know, it's <laughs> just like again." Yeah. Right? So, you know, listen. Uh, and, and listen, I'm going to be honest, I mean, I heard some not locker room issues, but I just heard kind of a an attitude, a uh, bad attitude, kind of a complainer, you mm. know.
2: I didn't I did not hear that. I have and to say. also yeah. somebody
0: that kind of kept to himself. Right. So, you know, uh, I don't think those were huge issues, but that goes in the mix as you're, you know, making moves. And uh, I just think when Richardson's out there and the defense he's going to give you – because, listen, there were two players who you could really count on for defense, and that was Maxie and, and Finney. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw in the, in the Clippers series when there's multiple guys that you've got to get a hold of, then, you know,
2: that's a lot of burden on those guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Especially given their limitations on offense.
0: Uh, Okay, so let's get into uh, what you've been begging for and wanting, and we finally got an enforcer, a yeah. beast, a guy you're not going to F around with, yep. James Johnson. Tell me yeah. about
2: him. Yeah, so so look, this trade has not been announced, but but we're past the moratorium, so we're, you know, it's a lot easier to talk about this stuff now. So at some point in the next few days, maybe by the time this podcast hits the airwaves, all the trades involving Trevor Ariza will take place at various <laughs> other places around the league. They'll they'll execute that paperwork to Four moving teams. from Houston to Portland, and then Portland will execute or, the the paperwork will be executed in moving from Portland to Houston and then from Houston to Detroit and then Detroit to Oklahoma City and that deal, and it'll finally be over with, and then they'll announce the trade. But but a trade was agreed upon that was reported late Friday night, the first night of free agency that's bringing James Johnson here, who finished the season in Minnesota last year after playing three and a half years in Miami. So what James Johnson is going to bring you is 33, 34-year-old guy. I think he'll turn 34 during the season. Um, and, and we're talking about a combo forward and really the way the league is evolving. Now, I think the guy could play a little bit of center to be honest with you in small ball situations. Yeah. he's you know, six, eight, six, nine guy. And we're talking about somebody who gives you, um, you know, more than anything. I don't want to just reduce his game to being an enforcer because he does have still, uh, you know, a pretty darn good amount of athleticism that can run the floor and finish big time. Uh, and he's worked his way in on a decent volume of attempts to being a respectable three-point shooter, whereas earlier in his career, I mean, he would have low-volume seasons of three-point attempts, and the reason he was low-volume is because he was shooting in the 20s, percentage-wise. Now, this past three years, on a much, much higher volume of three-pointers, like averaging over 200 three-point attempts a season, he's made himself into a 33% three-point shooter, which is still a little bit below average, but it's at least respectable enough where the defense has got to honor that. Uh, But the main thing is toughness. Um, You know, he's a player who uh, has actually fought in MMA fights and kickboxing fights. And he's a a black belt in karate and just has always had a reputation of being one of the baddest dudes in the league in terms of if there was going to be an actual scrape. Than or actual scrap, then you know he's the guy that uh, you don't want to go up against.
0: So Marcus Morris won't be stepping on Luca's ankle uh, next no, year. If or- he
2: does, then there's going to be consequences for it. You know, there's right. going to be somebody who's not going to sit there and let him take physical liberties with Luca, and it's not somebody you know you don't want for obvious reasons. Porzingis. I mean, I appreciate what he tried to do last year, but look what happened with it in terms of the timing and getting kicked out of the game. Um, it's like
0: whenever I uh, see a bar fight going on, it may involve some people like, you know, I push others in front of me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> now you've got... I can't get my pretty face messed up. I mean, you've got a guy who... and Look, we all didn't like the guy and he all bothered the crap out of us, but the Mavs needed a Marcus Morris right. or somebody who was able to deal with Marcus Morris's the way he plays and what he brings to the table and what he's going to try to do in terms of throw you off your game and irritate you and bully you. You've got to have somebody out there who can take up for your best players in that regard. Deshaun Stevenson was the guy who did it in the past. I mean, I hate to, I've said in many interviews, I don't, I, you know, I'm sorry that I keep going back to that template, but that was a very successful template a decade ago. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, you know, realizing, Hey, this team needs uh toughness and, and, you know, Finney Smith, over the years, can can develop into that guy because certainly he's got you know some of that. But also, he's a super nice guy, too. And that's not to say that James Johnson's not a nice guy outside the lines. But inside the lines, he looks like he's a take-nothing-off-nobody kind of guy.
0: So when you're... Uh Walking by him on the team bus, you're not going to flip his hat off and say, what are you going to do about it, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I don't know how much I'll even talk to him. Yeah. It's just like, just uh, please no don't do anything contact, to me, Mr. Yeah. Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, Mr. Johnson to you. <laughs> no, I'm really – look, look, I'm really excited the guy's here uh, because I just – you know, I, I've I've listened to Rick over the years. I heard the things he was saying this year, the frustration that he had about other teams taking physical liberties with Luca. Uh, you know, I, I've seen uh, the atmosphere that you know. I, I've heard Rick talk about the the game when he played it. I've heard Rick talk about the importance of. I mean, remember there was a time whenever, gosh. Uh, you know, they played a game in New Orleans, and this was like, you know, a really big moment, in that late in that championship season, where a lot of people thought, "I can't believe Rick said that in an interview," because I think Sean Marion got flagrantly fouled into the basket stanchion, and nobody really did anything. And Rick said, you know, he said it was soft, and and Rick is a big believer, as you know, and play with force, and play hard, and play tough. And, you know, uh, he is, he's, Rick has an edge to him in terms of how he believes the game needs to be played. Um, and so I think this is a guy who's really going to fit. It's not like Rick spends a lot of time talking about it all the time, but if you're around him and you know his backstory and you know what kind of player he is and, you know, the emphasis he puts on, on that aspect of the game, then you understand why this is somebody, uh, you know, Rick admires skill like any other coach, but he also understands there has to be an element of, meanness i said it i said it on this podcast before let me say it one more time one of my favorite rick quotes ever from 10 years ago you can't win with a team full of assholes and you can't win with a team full of milk drinkers you have to have a mix of both
0: (laughs) and i think you know not that we had a bunch of milk drinkers but i think we had some players who uh cared about what their hair looked like more than getting dirty sometimes (laughs) sure right they were going to that NBA-sanctioned barbershop every day to make sure that <laughs> they looked really nice and had good product in their hair, but they they also let their star players get beat up a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, I think we needed somebody that, uh, that, that messed around there.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: I think the the surprising move, as DeMarcus Cousins signs the one you do with the Rockets. Wow. Um, so that's
2: breaking as we're recording the podcast. Uh, so, so so Woj wow. needs to get part of that cut for took, putting that out there. It took
0: five days for that heated interest to uh, <laughs> to result in that. Uh, that'll help locker room uh, chemistry for sure there. Um, the surprising move is, is Wes Uwundu.
2: Am I saying that right? I think that's how you say it, yes. Wesley, or Wes Uwundu.
0: Uh I'll be honest, I never even heard of this guy before we signed him, so what do you know about him as our... uh
2: as our wing that we signed uh over the weekend. Deep bench guy in Orlando, and I think he's just here for wing depth. I mean, it's another it's a it's an audition for another guy to fill a three and D role. Uh, you know, his three point percentage did improve. It was nineteen percent as a rookie and it jumped up by this past year by his third year in the league to over thirty six percent. But we're talking about a guy who is a five point two rebound a game guy. So I think uh you know this is a fill out the end of the roster and somebody to kind of look at from a depth perspective at the wing and and in terms of 3 and D.
0: Yeah, 32% for his career, 34% last
2: year from 3. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um I I guess a lot of people were surprised when you see, you know, some of the you know, known names that are out there for that position to kind of reach out um but Listen, there are people like Hollinger who had him as a $4 million guy, and you got him for a minimum.
2: I did see that. I did notice that. So who knows? Um, Yeah, John Hollinger from The Athletic, of course, had a really, really good breakdown. He had a a rating system, uh, a salary value system for all free agents. And he did point out that the Mavericks did a good job of value shopping in terms of signing Wes Awundu and Trey Burke in terms of what he thought their value, what what they signed for or what they reportedly are going to sign for and what their value should be.
0: So to me this is one of those deals where there's an advanced scout who, who loves him and kind of talked the Mavs into taking a flyer on him.
2: Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's that's an interesting perspective on it and there's probably, you know, there's probably a lot of merit to that.
0: Um so you mentioned Trey Burke, the mid level, which was really all we had to play with, uh, we did re sign Burke for that, for yeah, part of that.
2: Using part of that. Which I you know, you know this, uh, I thought he earned an opportunity to play here based on what he did in the bubble. Um, you know, When I look at what next year's team is going to look like, one thing for the Mavs this year was bench scoring was good, not great. And as you know, and as we saw in the bubble, Burke does have his streakiness to his game, but man, when he's on a good streak, as we saw in game four when he had 25 points, or what we saw in that first game of the bubble when he had 31, and he had some other key performances in the bubble as well. Trey Burke can help you uh Trey Burke can give you something he's found what he is after being the college player of the year and drafted in the lottery in 2013 and struggling in Utah and bouncing around in the league he's found who he is what he is and the best system for him and so I'm super happy that they're bringing him back
0: and they got a good deal three million dollars it's not crazy money yep I think he realized even if he could get four somewhere else that the fit here was good Yes. You don't want to be Yogi Farrell who, by the way, is still unemployed because yep. he left here for five hundred thousand dollars and a system where the coach liked him and he played a lot and mm-hmm. uh, and disappeared in Sacramento and you yeah, know he right. may be playing in China next year because of that. Yeah. Um, so you had a good point when we were texting about this. I you know, I'm frustrated by his inconsistency, but that's who he is, and you just have to live with that.
2: Yes, yes. And I think that he's he's figured out who he is. I think he's figured out what, his, what he can do well and where he fits and what his limitations are, but what his strengths are. I think, I think you know, look, our buddies at the ticket had him on during the playoffs after his game in Game 4, and just listening to him interviewed. And by the way, you know, since we've done our last podcast, remember the story that broke several weeks ago? He played all those games down in the bubble after he was stuck here in Dallas unable to do anything because he was in his room because he had COVID. So remember that aspect of it too. That that you know he 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 had agreed on a deal whenever Willie Cauley Stein opted out of the bubble, and then the Mavs signed him, and they said we we're bringing him here because we think he's the best free agent that's out there. And then all of a sudden. It, we kept on hearing, well, we're you know we're still working on getting him he's, here. Yeah, he's right. not Here, you know, they we, didn't
0: they didn't disclose that that was because he had COVID. Yeah, yeah at the time.
2: Yeah, and he was sitting in a hotel room in Dallas, uh, you know, just realizing, oh my God, my great opportunity here to really do something and on a on a big stage is about to go away. And so when you look at what he did in the bubble, and then you know hearing him interviewed on, with the guys on the ticket, um, you know, I just there just seemed like such a such a enthusiasm about being here, playing alongside Luca being able to contribute the way he does in the system, realizing that he'd found himself a home. I just, it's a great story. I loved hearing what he had to say, because again, it just, he's hes figured out who he is and equally as importantly figured out who he isn't. And I'm i am very glad to have signed him on a really good value deal and think he'll help the bench.
0: And Rick really liked him in the bubble. You could tell he played him a lot. He really yep. liked what he brought He liked the energy. Uh, I do hope Rick doesn't get frustrated with him when his inconsistency bouts hit. Because it will happen. And throws him in the doghouse. But, you know, we'll see. I think that's TBD. But, uh, you know, listen, when you have $9.7 or whatever it is, and, uh, you know, you don't have bird rights on him, so you had to use a chunk of that. Mm -hmm. So there's an opportunity cost there. You could have signed somebody else for the full medal level. We saw plenty of players go for the full medal level.
2: Like Jay Crowder, a personal favorite of yours and mine. So...
0: You know that's the cost of bringing Burke back. Is mm-hmm. is you know a guy who's bounced around the league, never really caught on. You know had a one month heater. Uh, is that who he is, or is he the guy that we saw for years and years? We'll see. But there is a cost to that yeah, in terms there of is. what you're
2: giving up. There is. There is a cost to that. Um, I, I, think when you look at his inconsistency, here's what I'm hoping, Brian, is that his inconsistency is a lot harder to, to deal with whenever he was in the bubble and he was having to play heavy minutes. And so if he was having one of those nights where he was two for nine, um, and over seven on threes, and I think there was a game where basically his line was just about something like that over seven on three and two for nine from the floor. So when, when he's having a game like that and you got to play him a lot, then that's a concern. If you're back to being, if you're if you're deeper based on what you've done in the last few days and healthy, which of course you know Brunson and Powell will be presumably, uh, you know, those guys are ready to go. They've been clear and they'll be there at the start of camp. I was told in October that it
0: that if the season had started normally, they would be at full strength and playing. So yeah. they're going to be just fine. Yeah. Now, so, so there, there the might fu- be some back to back holding backs of of you know Powell, uh, you know maybe even some minutes restrictions to start to get him in the flow, but. Both of those players are 100%.
2: And so if you have a, a much more complete roster in terms of players, uh, number of players and ability of the players, then you don't have to overexpose Trey Burke. And so the inconsistent nature of his game may not be nearly as damaging to you as it were on a couple of those nights in the bubble when he wasn't on and they still had him out there on the floor in the fourth quarter and he was you know, going two for nine from the floor. Right. Uh,
0: the move that kind of surprised me was the last one, which was Cauley-Stein. I-, I didn't know if they needed another big. Um, and frankly, I didn't think he really gave him a bunch last year.
2: <laughs> yeah, that one surprised me a little bit, too. Um, you know, I, you, you arguably – I get wanting a big while Porzingis is on the mend. We just don't know how long that's going to be. Uh, and then we also don't know, but I think we probably should go ahead and assume this. He probably won't play on back-to-backs. So, you know, there are going to be nights when you'll need another big guy. Um, but I guess it just depends on the matchup. But think about it. Even without Porzingis, you still have Powell can play center, Kleba can play center, Bobby plays center. And then in a pinch, you could put James Johnson or uh, Dorian Finney-Smith as small ball centers, depending on what the other team is rolling out there. So I don't know how much the Mavs really needed another big guy. Um, I guess while Porzingis is out, sure, especially if there's going to be some minutes managing going on with Dwight Powell and some back-to-back management with Dwight Powell, I suppose that makes sense. And and you didn't have to spend a lot on him. Uh, you obviously spend $4 million of your mid-level because they didn't have bird rights on him either. So, um, you know, it's hopefully he'll be able to get in more of a groove and help the team than he did in the limited times he got on the floor last year.
0: And that deal was done uh, Sunday afternoon – uh, the reason that kind of took a little bit is they were they were really in the hunt for Gasol. Yeah, and when Mark Gasol ended up going to the Lakers, or agreeing there, then they just went to their fallback option. But mm-hmm. they were that was their primary choice for yeah. that last kind of big spot
2: and that would be somebody who would you know that play that's somebody who could play a lot more yeah. because of of all of the things that he can do offensively and defensively and and Coley Stein could do some of those things but not at a consistent level and hasn't done on the done it on the big stages like Marcus Ol has um you
0: know another move that they were trying to make on draft day was Covington uh, the really good defender and three and D guy oh, from really? Houston. Interesting. Uh, but that you know, he ended up getting two ones from Portland, and that wasn't anything the the Mavs were gonna right. be able to meet. Mm-hmm. There was a player involved. They were trying to, you know, I think uh, Seth's name maybe had been brought up in that deal, uh, along with both eighteen and thirty one, and that you know, it just that wasn't something
2: the Mavs were interested in.
0: Right. I think frankly, Rich Richardson's probably a better player than Covington.
2: Well, yeah, certainly more skillful on, on offense. Yeah. Uh, Covington might have a better three-point percentage, but in terms of total skill, playmaking, ability to create something, Richardson's got more to bring to the table than Covington does in that regard. So overall, I think the Mavs obviously
0: improved themselves. The draft picks are draft picks, but, you know, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. You hope. I think they make good ones considering. Um, I like the Richardson move. A lot of people are complaining there's not a big name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I listen, I loved Bogdanovich, but you know, he went he signed an eighteen million dollar offer sheet. Uh, that would have had to have been a sign and trade for the Mavs. And, you know, who knows if the Kings were wanting anything that we had to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have done Jay Crowder for the full med level instead of Burke and Cully Stein, but you know, I think that's a debate we can have. Sure. Uh, you know, Dragic stayed where he was. That was a deal we had last year that we turned down because
2: we didn't like the fact that he didn't play defense. I think that's a short-sighted decision, but... And who knows? And look at how that could have impacted two franchises. Right. What, you know, how, he, how much he would have helped here and how much, uh, you know, obviously Miami would not have had the same kind of run that they had, presumably, uh, with no Dragic there. But.
0: Um, but I think, you know, something I've heard from the inside the organization is they do want a third star. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason is, and I I agree with this, I think because they saw what happened when one or two of your guys goes down. You know, I think the reality is the way Luca plays, as hard as he plays and being a target, and KP, just who he is, you know, you can't always just count that they're going to be there for 82 games and all the playoff games. Right. And so when you have a star, that's insurance. A third star is insurance. That if one goes down, you still got two. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the right approach to take long-term for this team. Now, Mm -hmm. they did not get a third star, but I think they put themselves in position to eventually get one. The reason being, you know, without a first-round pick, it's hard to trade for, you know, the Hardens and Westbrooks if you were interested in those guys to come available without some firsts there. Mm -hmm. But the way you can do it is by having expiring contracts. Mm -hmm. So... A, they have room in 2020 now. 2021, plenty of room available to them. But before then, if they decide they really want, you know, let's say uh, most of the players they had our eye on resign, Giannis resigns. There's plenty of other players in 2021 besides him, and they decide, well, we have this opportunity. We'll just forego some of that or a lot of that space and give up some expirings for a big contract. They can do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have 49. Point three two two million dollars in expirings. Wow! That's not counting Willie Cauley Stein, Berea, and Iwundu, who could add another ten to that. Mm-hmm. That's a lot.
2: I want to get into uh, all of what you're talking about. Uh, do you want to do you want to jump back to Berea for a second, or sure. do you want to hold on to that, or well, wanna, or get to that in a minute? So I do have some things I want to say about that. Berea is
0: being brought back, from my information mm-hmm. that hasn't been announced. Um, but. That's a two point six million dollar uh you know vet minimum ten year plus plus vet uh there are sixteen players being taken to camp, so somebody's got to go
2: yeah um and that means and that doesn't mean somebody's gonna get cut somebody could be traded to another team and to their space so uh i I can you know there's theories that
0: maybe he's cut and he's kept on as a coach, but he's getting paid
2: you know sure. things like that maybe a one dude doesn't make it. You know, since he's a guy on a minimum contract.
0: Uh, But, you know, yes, your thoughts on Barrett.
2: Well, the main thing I wanted to share was I have seen uh, I haven't gotten a lot of this, but I've seen other because I haven't been really in a position where I could be very active on Twitter about it because, you know, team employee kind of have to, you know, be kind of quiet during the moratorium. And even though we haven't announced anything, kind of, you know, obviously we're past the moratorium and comfortable talking about what's being reported. But I did see a lot of pushback out there. Um, now just because some people are screaming about it on Twitter, I don't necessarily know that that reflects the majority of what the fan base thinks. Uh, but there are people who feel like, why are you keeping the guy, uh, why are you going with a younger player who could develop into something? Uh, everything that Berea can do, you know, he can do as a coach. Uh, I would push back against that part of it because I think once he moves from being player to coach, then you know the dynamic and the relationship with the teammates is different. Hundred percent. Yeah, the the teammate to teammate, and specifically, I'm speaking of the JJ to Luca relationship yes. is one thing as a player. Not to say that it couldn't still be really good as he when he transitions to being an assistant coach, it can be, but it is different. Once you take that uniform off and have a clipboard and have a pair of sweats on to work out with the game, guy and player development, you know, before and after practice and before games, the relationship changes at that point. And it's hard for me to verbalize it all. It's just something that you see and you know from being around. He goes from being one of us to being one of them yeah, at that point. that's natural, yes. Yeah, and, and again, doesn't mean that the relationship won't still be great, but it will be different. Um, and, and, you know, I think that... Uh, JJ's there to be, you know, that uh, that buffer, uh, that Luca whisper, you know, a part of it. Yes. But but but, like, I, I said this to somebody on Twitter the other day. Udonis Haslam has played 320 minutes of basketball action in the regular season in total for four years, Brian. 320 minutes, which is what Luca will play in nine games. Basically, he's played that in four seasons. That's a very well-run organization for whatever uh, you know angst you and I have about them that still dates back to 2006. The bottom line is it's a really well-run organization. And so if Pat Riley sees that, hey, it's really important to have a culture setter and mentor who's still technically a part of the locker room and not a part of the coaching staff, and we're willing to roll with this guy even though his effectiveness as a player has, is long since in the rearview mirror, If that organization sees value in that, then I see value in that as well. I think that's a good organization to try to emulate emulate things that they do.
0: I agree with that, and I think that you're right about the dynamic as a player versus a coach. Uh, His relationship with Luca is really important, and I think he still can be a mentor there as a player in helping him in the point guard position. Uh, One interesting note on Haslam, if you remember in 2010, he took a pretty significant pay cut to fit those players in. Yeah, and part of the reason he's been around this long, I think, is because it's a, excuse me, wink, wink, nod, nod, we're going to pay you for a long time. Thanks for doing that.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's probably something to that. Yeah. But I think if he didn't fit and didn't understand the organizational sure. culture and fit, then they would say, okay, well, we've, we have paid you enough now. So yeah. there's, there's still value they see in having him around. It's not, I don't think that they would keep on bringing him back uh, just to do right by him from 10 years ago if there wasn't value in having him there.
0: And JJ is someone that, I think Mark said this publicly, they want in the organization, you know, for a long time. Yes. Once he finishes playing. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you don't want to do wrong by him, you know, if the guys, and I know he wants to play. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to just be a coach. So we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Uh, But in terms of this third star and moves you can make, you know, there is some uh, Mavs Twitter angst, and I, I don't, get involved in mass Twitter as much as you do because I blow it off as, you know, minority voices sometimes who just bitch to Vocal bitch. minority, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's angst that not as much was done, and you see a lot of names fly off the board to other teams. <coughs> you know, something I have to remind people all the time from, you know, being in these rooms when this happens is, and I say this all the time, you know, plans A, B, C, and D all launch simultaneously. Right. right? It's not like if a plan A... And then if that doesn't work, you go to plan B and et cetera. Mm -hmm. They all go down and they have different probabilities of success. You may have 20% at plan A, 80% at plan D and it scales, right? Mm -hmm. And you're constantly weighing, well, should I, just like last year, you know, oh, Danny Green's our plan A. Well, they decided to wait on that, Mm -hmm. even though they knew the percentage was maybe 25%. Meanwhile, all these names fell off the board. Right. If they had just gone for one of those names, that probably was the better move, but they didn't know, right? Because sure. if they had ended up getting Danny Green, then it would have been worth the wait. So you're constantly playing that game, and you don't know how much of that plays in on who you're looking at. So uh, there could have been a player they really liked with the full med level but he went away, and so they said, okay, well, then we're going to go for Burke. Right. Let's just go ahead and lock it in now. Right. So that, that has to be accounted for, um, but I think that, because they don't have the first round picks to, to give up that what they did a short term gives them the the rangy, you know, defensive players they need. Another point I wanted to, to point out about that player who can go out and defend to 30 feet but also get back in the paint, you know, to the number one thing, the worst stat they had defensively was turnovers.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you get turnovers? Deflections. Right. How do you get deflections? Long arm athletic guys. Who can get in those passing lanes?
2: Yeah, they were they were amongst the lowest in the league in terms of forcing turnovers. I think maybe twenty ninth. Yeah,
0: key thing in transition D, which they were also really bad in.
2: Yep, get in those passing lanes and deflect. So, yeah, they were also like 29th, I think, in yes. terms of fast break point. They spent a lot of the year thirtieth in fast break points allowed, and I think finished up the year 29th or twenty eighth. So that's another
0: like that. reason they took this philosophical approach. So, I think short term they did that, and long term because you know there's not a bad contract on this
2: roster, right? That's not a very good one. Point. Yeah. Not one at all. That's true. So
0: they can flip these or let them expire. And I think as much as we don't want to say it either at some point through the trade market this year or next summer, you know, if they don't make a big move, then then we can really start to cry and
2: bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the thing about it is this, I'm a little conflicted about, I think you, all of your points are spot on. Here are all of my conflicts that I have kind of internally about things right now. Uh, why on some level uh, I want to see aggressiveness, but I also don't want to see too much aggressiveness. I want to make sure that you do indeed make the right move. So as I said last week when I made my appearance on the ticket, and that was at the time kind of based on the idea that Bogdanovich, along with Drew Holiday, were going to Milwaukee. To me, it's like Giannis is off the table. Now, that doesn't mean that Giannis couldn't sign his Supermax. Things don't work out. You know, he signs a Supermax next month.
0: And odds are he's staying.
2: Yeah. Let's just be honest. Sure. But of course. Of sure. course. But 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 you know Giannis signs his Supermax. Now that doesn't mean that two or three years he can force his way out if things don't go well. But but you know we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But but to me it's like so uh, w- once that went off the board, to me I like the idea generally speaking of aggressiveness because. On one hand, I look at Luka, and I see, okay, the window is really starting to open right now. I mean, you have said, and by the way, Vegas agrees with you, he's the odds-on favorite to be the MVP of the league next season.
0: After the shot against the, uh, Clippers, the Clippers, I called it, and I, I believe there was some scoffing from my post-game teammates.
2: Uh, maybe I didn't scoff more, at that. Maybe no. more Jake than you, yeah. but...
0: I believed it and I still believe it. And you're right. Vegas agrees now.
2: The only reason I would scoff at that is just because that's just a really, really high level of expectation to put on a guy in his third year in the league who will start the season at 21 years old. You know, that's just that's that's a big ask. But it looks to me like if anybody can do it, that guy can do it. Um, So so look, the time is is starting to be now. And the clock is ticking on getting as good as you can, as quickly as you can, because I think as we've discussed, and look, look, I understand this, and I get why why things are different. Uh, Dirk was a guy who was here for the duration of his career and never wavered in that regard. Um, you know, Luca is much like Dirk, competitive and in it to win it to the highest level, but you know Dirk had an affinity for Dallas because he came here and struggled, but the fans were so great and it brought him along, and there was just a connection to community that Dirk had here. Luca, of course, has that same connection to community, but I don't think we can count on him being as uh, you know somebody who wouldn't be open to entertaining ideas of going elsewhere if things don't materialize seven, eight years into his career, kind of at the same time, for example, Anthony Davis. And then now here's Giannis a year away from free agency. And, you know, everybody's wondering about that deal. Luke there have been other Dirk. players. What's Luke that? Luke is
0: not Dirk. And yeah. I think we and just that's okay, by the way. easy comparison because yeah. of what we know. But listen, and, and, and we and just that's saw okay? it He's with yeah. Harden, who loved Houston, never wanted to leave. Now he wants out. I mean, this thing, these things can change quickly.
2: Yes, yes. So I want to see the team... You know, because I feel like the clock is ticking. So I want to see the team get as good as they can as quickly as they can. However, here's some of the other conflicts that I have, though, Brian. I don't want to see the Mavericks do something just to do something because New Orleans did that and got bad contracts and injured players and never was able to really build the kind of team they needed to build around Anthony Davis. And ultimately, he got tired of it and forced his way out. So I don't want to see them do that. Uh, And then I look at next offseason. It's like, okay, well, here's the thing. It's like, you know... Next year is arguably your last chance to go into a free agent market with a lot of cash. Why? because the following off season luca 's big number for his new deal is going to kick in next year next summer will be the summer going into luca 's fourth year. And then after the fourth year, they're restricted free agent, and obviously, Luke is going to be making the maximum amount of money possible. He'll probably agree to that extension next summer, as a matter of fact, after his third yes, year. Yes, the, the ones league. you're
0: seeing, Mitchell and Tatum and all those
2: guys signed now. Yes, exactly. So the the time is now, uh, or the time is, is between now and next summer when you're going to have flexibility to go into the marketplace, particularly with a lot of cash, because then – uh, for, for at least some window of time after that, you won't have that opportunity. Now, the trade market will still always be out there, and you can still always get somebody here if they really want to get here, and you have some ammunition to do that. But but I do understand, you know, there's, there's just a lot of conflicting feelings about it because— I want them to get as good as quickly as they can, but I don't want them to make the wrong decision. I want them to have flexibility for next summer because that's the last chance. But then that means we've had another year where did you hold back from what you could be because you're waiting for the next thing? So there's there's there it's, it's a, a there hard a it's a hard decision. Of names
0: we we all like Bogdanovich, but it's not like there were a lot of big name different difference making names out there that were really changing teams.
2: No current did any current All Stars move uh in free agency i don't think i mean bogdanovich is not an all-star good yeah. player Galinari's never been an all-star good player but you know that that i like him but then also have like a real burr in my saddle about him because he's hurt all the time all the time yeah i mean he's just he, you know it's, he hasn't a, played it's, more than 70 games i think in five years oh i think it's even longer than that yeah. honestly i mean the fact that he played 60 plus games the last two years is is, is a win-win i mean he has not you know that's that's been something that's happened pretty I mean, rare in his would career. Would you want
0: Tobias Harris? You could trade for him right now. You could trade Hardaway Jr. and Maxi and throw in some stuff and get Tobias Harris, who's going to be making forty-five million dollars in a couple of years. You want that?
2: No, I don't want that.
0: Right? Yeah. Th- those are the kind of moves that you would get a name and you'd get you know somebody, but, but those those kind of contracts are going to be really albatrosses for those teams.
2: Right. Yeah. So so there's. It's it's a it's an interesting you. place that they're in right now.
0: I hear you. I just I think this isn't the summer to complain about that, considering what was out there. Mm-hmm. You know, could they have made some other Jay Crowder, you know, names on the margins mm-hmm. instead of Wes Awundu and Colly Stein and Burke? Sure, but th- that's not the difference making. I think because they didn't have that first to give up, their position to do what they need to do to get that third star in here uh, either in the trade market this year or by the deadline or next summer.
2: I mean, look at the value of expiring contracts at the trade deadline if we go back to basically about, what, 21 months because Wesley Matthews and DeAndre Jordan's big expiring contracts were an integral part of getting Kristaps yes. Porzingis. Yes. Now, you did have to throw in, and look, they do have first-rounders to trade. They're just they're not going to be able to trade one until 2025. <laughs> So and, 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 you know, you saw Miami last year with Jimmy Butler. They were
0: the most capped out team going into that, that offseason. But they were able to make that work. But the only reason they were able to make that work because they had to give up ones along with players to get off that salary. Right. The Mavs can't do that. Mm-hmm. So without that ability, you need space. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can't just hope and pray that somebody's going to take your players to be nice. That's not the way it works. Sure. Sure. Although so. there are some front offices that made moves this summer or this offseason that you just kind of scratch your head out. <laughs> there always are. Um, now, we we, we've, we have yet to mention uh, when we talked about James Johnson that the players that went out were DeLon Wright and Justin Jackson. Uh, DeLon was a guy that just I, I think we all kind of finally figured it out in the bubble. He looked like uh, a, a deer in headlights. He mm-hmm. just looked out of his element. Yeah,
2: just a uh, n- not uh, you know. And there's nothing wrong with this necessarily. Just isn't an aggressive enough uh, player in terms of seeking out his shot. And and for whatever reason, whether it's lack of confidence in it or whatever it is, but but yeah, the Mavs needed somebody to to play alongside Luca that had the ability to to you know to be a little bit more uh, create his own shot. Uh, but play off the ball with Luka. I mean, they tried to play them together in preseason and like a game or two last year, and then they immediately pulled the plug on that at the that beginning the of the goal. season. That was the goal. He
0: was supposed to be the starting two. And, yeah. uh, and Hollinger mentioned this because Hollinger was in the Memphis front office. He's a guy that needs the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. And But even in when he ran the second team, uh, it just looked too big for him. And so he had, you know, about $10 million, 9.5 on his you know, next, next year, not next, this coming year. Uh, So it was good to get off that money. Yep. Justin Jackson was a guy that I don't think basketball IQ wise ever really figured it out. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a shame, but you got off that $5 million as well. So I think it's good to get off those deals. Yes. Especially to get your enforcer. It's a wise use of wise, wise, wise use. There you go. Wise use. There you go. Of that. uh, And you didn't have to give up really any draft assets for it. So it's good.
2: Yeah, did we ever determine somebody's getting compensation? Somebody's getting draft compensation in that deal, but I can't even remember who. I think it's Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City's getting some compensation, some draft compensation. We don't know from who if it's from the Mavs, what it is, if it's from Detroit. Who knows at this point? But but I don't think it's going to be unless uh, you know we'll see. But I don't think it's going to going to be anything that we're going to have a lot of regret over. So all in all, look good off season. with the understanding that you, know, you never know what you do in one offseason, how that's going to be able to vault you into the next thing. We were disappointed last year, Brian, and going into it with $30 million in cap room, and it basically brought you Seth Curry and DeLon Wright, uh, you know guys who helped the team this year, but we had, we had bigger aspirations going into last offseason. But then you rolled to this summer, and the players that you brought in last offseason, you were then able to turn into Josh Richardson, which is going to help the team and turn into James Johnson, which is you know who knows how long he'll be here. This might only be a one or you know, and maybe we'll, we'll see how long they choose to bring him back next year in free agency. We'll see if that if the fits right or whatever, but but maybe a short term deal. But you do bring guys in that bring elements to the team that I think you need. So you know we'll see what yeah, they did this, this go around and how it impacts next year. I hear you that Josh Richardson is as a
0: result of Seth Curry, but. We can look back at last summer and it's an unmitigated disaster. To have thirty million dollars in cap space, one of the top amounts of room, and to basically end up with Josh Richardson, yeah, a, a year later, right? That's right. not a, that's not a great summer.
2: No, it's not. But you made the best of the situation yeah. after you swung and missed on your 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 top targets last year on your Thank plan. Thank you, A's. Danny Green and
0: Harrison Sanford.
2: who <laughs> I have squarely in my crosshairs? You do. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. That's-
0: the green room has moved to Philadelphia.
2: Well, you know, I like that the 3 and D guys that they're looking at now just have, you know, they're, they're younger 3 and D guys. Uh, yeah. You know, you're, you, Finney Smith still has room to grow. Josh Green, whom you drafted, is going to be somebody who I think we're going to really like as his game, uh, you know, is able to develop over the years. Um, you know, and then we'll, we'll see where it goes with uh, a guy like a Tyler Bay, who's a second round pick. You never know, or one or whatever and Richardson, of course. No, Richardson's 27, 27. Okay. Yeah. yeah he's a four year college in guy in Tennessee. He's
0: still in the age that is okay. Right. You're not, you're not going to bring in Trevor Ariza. Yes. Right. Correct. So I think it fits the timeline. He's a guy that I think can stick around. You're talking about James Johnson. You know, James Johnson's got expiring. He's got $16 million, Bobon. Hardaway and Richardson are the expirings, but I could definitely see if Richardson plays well, you know, re-upping with him.
2: Yes, yes. I mean, he's on a good, you know, on a good number this year. We'll see. And 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 I've even seen that, you know, his cap hold is not even that, you know, compared. To, yeah, he's
0: 10, 10.8 this year, so.
2: Yeah, and I think his cap hold next year is 16 million. So you might be able to be active in the marketplace outside of the team and still be able to do it in the right order to bring him back, depending on what he wants next summer. So there's there's a lot to like about what they've done in the last few days. And I do think that... Coupled with what else has happened in the West, which is Oklahoma City, this year they're going to take a step back, although we thought that last year, but I really – it's pretty clear this year yes, they're going to take no a question. step back. So, so that's one team in front of you that's going to slide back. To be determined with Houston.
0: But most likely.
2: Most likely. So now you're competing with Utah to be the fourth-place team of the Western Conference. You know, I, think,
0: I think they should be uh, – my opinion is I think they're actually competing with Portland. Uh, I think Utah. I'm not worried about Utah too much. Yeah. Um, I think it's Lakers, Clippers, Denver, Dallas, Portland. If I if I had to right now pick a five in order, okay. Not, well, not in order, but I think we're definitely four, and then Portland five. I don't know how the top three is going to shake out with load
2: management and all that. You know, when we talked about it at the end of our our last podcast, I said for the Mavs, and I've said this many times in the last decade. what's going to change things in the playoffs for the Mavs, and players, of course, are going to be part of changing this, but in the regular season, um, for as much as we want to talk about, you know, convincing yourself that you can win these series and you can pull off the upset, the bottom line is, uh, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, but basically it was like a 5% chance. Seven and eight seeds don't win series very often in the NBA. You've got to get up to five. The four-five is a coin flip series. Six is is theoretically possible, about 25%, I think, of six seeds win. But if you're really talking being a team that's going to build off this year and win a playoff series next year, is the minimum place that you have to be, be in that 4-5 series. And so yeah, I think they're in goal, that position now.
0: Uh, you know, last year, we, their goal was playoffs. This year, their goal has to be the 4 seed. That, that yeah. just has to be where it is. They, yeah. Especially, as you mentioned, with Oklahoma City going down, Houston most likely going down, Utah I'm not really a big believer in. Golden State's
2: not going to jump back up,
0: obviously. Uh, Phoenix will be better. But yeah, you, you should be moving up to that level. Real quick, let's just talk about kind of depth chart here. Um, by my count, they have Out of the sixteen, they have six bigs. If you count KP, Maxi, Powell, Collie, Stein, Boban, uh, and I had one more. James Johnson. Are you counting him as a big? James Johnson is a big. Yeah, they had four guards: Luca, Burke, Brunson, Berea, and then the rest are wings. So six, six uh, big, six wings, four guards. I'd probably like to have one more wing than another big, but we'll see how the last spot shakes out or, you know, what, what happens. And
2: I think Johnson's good enough that he can guard any position from uh, arguably shooting guard, but certainly small forward up to center, depending on who the other team's center is and how you're playing. So he's got, he's got multi-positional defensive versatility besides some ability to kick people's butt. <laughs> he's love. got that, man, and I'm all about it. I am all about that. Um, Remember, we talked
0: about in the bubble why he went, Courtney Lee. Obviously, he won't be a thing, even though they they kept him on. Yeah. Perhaps to stay as a locker room person, he obviously won't be coming back. So, starting lineups. Uh, Correct me if you think I'm out of line here, but Luca, Richardson, Hardaway, Finney-Smith, and win-healthy KP. Yes. So, even though Powell started with KP, uh, I've seen depth charts that show that as kind of the new starting lineup. I would be surprised if they went back to that.
2: Unless it's another team that's gonna play two bigs.
0: Right, but their normal lineup. Yeah. They'll yeah. stay with KP at the five.
2: Yeah, most of the time we'll see Finney Smith and KP as the four or five and, rather than Powell and Porzingis as the four or five. I think that's I think that's the way it's headed as well.
0: So second units where it gets interesting. We have Maxi and Powell. That's that's the easy part. Uh, Burke'll be your, your Point guard off the bench, I assume. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you put Brunson then in that second team rather than green? Right now, yes. Okay. And then who is your backup wing? Is that going to be green or
2: Wes? Uh, I would actually probably lean towards it maybe being Johnson at that point. Because I do think Johnson, I know you've kind of got him. With
0: Maxie and Powell on the floor.
2: Um, I'm just talking like a if you're playing all five of these guys. Yeah, because because I think the reality of what will happen is not it won't be like a full on line change. Right. You know there will probably there will be units. You know there will be situations where Luca goes out early and then comes back in and anchors a second unit and things like that. So mm-hmm. so we're talking about who's. Basically, the 10th the guy. Because you're, what you're saying is we're picking out a starting lineup, and then we're saying spot six to nine in the rotation are, if the whole roster is healthy, spot six to nine are Powell, Kleba, Brunson, Br- Brunson, and Burke. So spot 10 in the rotation to me is, is Johnson. Okay. Yeah, and then your third team guys are Josh Green and Bobby for an occasional, you know, different kind of big and Collie Stein for a different kind of big and and your rookies, you know, and, and Berea and a one-do, you know, whoever's whoever's on the team out of that group.
0: So probably nine for sure rotation players and possibly a Johnson
2: 10th. Yes. That's kind of the main people day in, day out. Yes. That aren't getting DNPCDs. And then understand that it's going to be, I mean, how long, when do you think Porzingis plays this first game? MLK Day? Probably. 15th of January? There's of no like rush.
0: That. Why rush? You're going to make the playoffs. Right. Uh, it's so important. Now, I was told that, you know, uh, we've talked about it. You know, oh, do you load manage him now because you're afraid he's going to get hurt? Uh, load managing wouldn't have prevented this injury. Correct. This was a one-time injury. Yeah, this happened. is a
2: guy falling into his knee. This is so, kind of like Zaza falling into Kevin Durant's knee, the same kind of injury.
0: Yeah, so, so it's not a – this wasn't a wear-and-tear injury, so – They're not going to load manage him to prevent something from happening. They're going to load manage him until he's 100% from this injury. Right. Um, I have no idea, you know, but they're
2: not going to rush him, and why rush him? So, you know, when we think about these depth charts, you have to think about it in terms of the idea that Porzingis isn't going to be there for the first three to six weeks of the season, depending on how aggressive they are with his timeline – there will be some load management when he does come back. There is presumably going to be some load management with Powell, um, you know. So when when he first starts the season, so and look, there's always going to be other injuries along the way. So these names at ten and eleven and twelve and thirteen are our depth chart still are going to have to play roles as the season unfolds. And look, Luca. Uh, you know, was was perfectly healthy for the first two months of the season last year. And then he had that ankle sprain against Miami. And then he basically spent the rest of the year kind of, uh, you know, got hurt a few times or, you know, was out there playing and looked like he was getting worn down. And so you want to be able to manage him a little bit better. So some of these other bench roles are going to be important to be able to put him in a position to put his best foot forward come playoff time. So there's, you know, there's a lot to sort out. There's a rotation whenever everything is perfect. But as you know, Brian, in a season, rare is the time that everything's going to be perfect.
0: Right. Well, I think all in all, uh, positive steps. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in that top nine, if you want to kind of, you know, put it there, really Richardson's the only addition and change. Yeah. kind of swapping him and
2: Curry. Right, right, and then this the return to health of Brunson and Powell. Powell, who missed basically the second half of your season, and Brunson, who missed the back third of your season. Because right. remember, he got hurt like the second game out of the All Star break. Yeah,
0: but uh, I think that's an improved team. And Then when you have just the improvement of those guys in general, Luca continue to develop, et cetera. Um, yeah, I think four seeds should be your your uh, your goal. And uh, so you know, listen, let's let's. Ease up on the, you know, powder dry memes and all that for now. <laughs> I hear you and I agree with you that we can't be sitting by and just letting years go by. Yeah, but it, it seemed as though they they there's a plan and there's you know, the queen's game is the whole rage now. They're there's, they're thinking a few steps ahead. I think right. so. Yeah. Yep, I think so too. There's nobody that went off the board that you're just like, oh my gosh, that, you know.
2: There are players that we liked. I mean, I would, you know, you and I are big Jay Crowder fans both. Um, and I think that certainly is, as you you put it correctly earlier, there was an opportunity cost there in terms of signing Burke to part of your mid-level. And then that took you out of the Drake, the Jay Crowder running. But, but well, in the
0: Burke conversation, let, listen, let's say, you know, is Brunson injury prone? And in Brea, you know, you can't really count on. We don't even know if he's going to be on the roster then who's your
2: backup point guard? Sure, sure. No, you need, and, and he can start in a pinch, as we saw in the bubble. He can he can start and he can be effective in that role and limited opportunities to do so. So, I look, can't wait to see how it all looks in person, uh, and we're going to get the opportunity to find that out really soon. Well, uh, we thought that, you know, we couldn't
0: let something like free agency schism in the draft to go by without you hearing from your... Your friends, Damaris and Falwell. So so uh, we will be back uh, sometime around the start of the season and get cranking up again. I'm looking forward to it, man. All right. Talk
1: to you soon.